we've been looking at 1 Peter together. As you know that 1 Peter has five chapters, and instead of going verse by verse as we did in Philippians, we just chose a portion of each chapter. And so this morning we conclude our series together. We're in the final chapter, chapter 5. We've, we've looked at hope in the dark, understanding that Peter wrote to uh, believers as they were going through a dark time. Now, their problems were very different than our problems, but they were suffering like we suffer nonetheless. They were going through a dark time as we go through a dark time. And so Peter knew they needed hope, and so do we. And so by looking at 1 Peter, we've been able to discover hope in the dark. We've talked about the fact that we have a living hope. We've talked about being people of hope. This morning, I want us to think together about a humble hope. A humble hope. It's interesting as we look at this chapter that there seems to be a spiritual connection between humility and hope. And I I hope by the time we're through this morning that you'll be able to see that connection between humility and hope. This has been a hard year. It's been a dark time in our history. We've all experienced unprecedented division, heartache, and suffering. Even this weekend, some celebrated while others grieved. Politics divide us. Race divides us. Our view of the pandemic divides us. We can either keep turning against each other, or we can all take a breath, calm down, and find ways to work together. I'm convinced that is what God's calling us to do. Not to ignore our convictions, but to be willing to adjust for the needs of others and to act with civility and kindness. We have to set aside our differences, get over our hurt feelings, and start working on resolving conflict and reconciling ourselves to one another. With that in mind, I want us to turn to 1 Peter 5, because I think that is the essence of the chapter. We've been through a dark time, but it's time now. It's time for us to start healing. It's time for us to start talking again. It's time for us to calm down and to take care of each other. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's begin at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger. Now, likewise just ties it to the verses ahead and I'm not going to take time to read those verses. The first four verses are telling pastors to take care of of the sheep and to do so in a humble way. But then in verse 5 he says, Likewise, 
you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And again, when he says elders, he's not talking about the office of elder in the church. He's saying, those of you who are younger, show honor and respect to those in the church who are older than you. Humble yourself. Submit to their wisdom and their leadership. So he says, likewise, verse 5 again, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Those of you who, who mark in your Bible from time to time, circle all of you. This is the message to the church. All of you with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. He, he, he starts with, with instruction, pastors, be humble. And then he says, those of you who are a little bit younger, be humble. And then he says, well, you know what? For that matter, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. And that word clothe is an amazing word. It... The closest thing would be when we use the word not as a verb, K-N-O-T, when we not something, we would rarely use it as a verb. But, but that's what this word is. It's, it's like tying something together. When he says clothe yourselves, he's saying put on something that has to be tied up. He's, he's referring most likely to an apron that a servant would wear. I think that he has that he has in mind what he remembers the night that Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room when it says that Jesus girded himself with a towel. It says he clothed himself with a towel. It's the same concept. And now Peter is saying to all of us, clothe yourself, put on, tie up, Humility when you deal with one another. Be ready to serve. Humble yourself with one another. And that is the first thing that we learn in this text about how humility and hope are connected. Peter first tells us to be humble with others. A humble hope begins when we are humble with each other. Clothe yourself with humility. Notice that he goes on to say something very interesting. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. When he, when he says that, he's actually quoting from one of the Proverbs. When we go look at it, the proverb looks different because of the translation. He's looking at a Greek translation of the Hebrew proverb. And so this is the way it reads to him. If you go look for these specific words, you won't find it quite that way. But he, he's referring to Proverb 3 and 34. For him, it reads, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. By the way, James quotes it the very same way. You can find it in James as well. But notice what he says. Clothe yourselves with humility with one another because God opposes the proud 
He has grace for the humble. It's a reminder that when we are when we're full of pride, we stand against the things of God. But when we humble ourselves, we put ourselves in a position where we can please him and be blessed by him and be a blessing to others. God opposes the proud. Why? Because pride focuses on getting my way in my time because I deserve it. I'm that important. I should get what I want. Pride blinds us to the needs and the feelings of others. Pride assumes I'm smart and you're dumb. I'm right and you're wrong. Pride makes us angry and divisive. Pride keeps us from sacrificing or serving. Pride diminishes our love and it robs us of our joy. So there's no, no question why Jesus said in Matthew 23, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, if you humble yourself, then God's going to honor that and he will exalt you. If you exalt yourself, you get all puffed up. You get all bowed up because you somebody. Then Jesus says, you better be ready. Because God opposes the proud and he's going to find a way to humble you. D.L. Moody said it so well. He had, he had a way with words. He could say a lot in a few words. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you'll stumble. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to put it. Reminiscent of Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but, when the humble, but with the humble is wisdom. It's very similar to the proverb that might be more familiar to you, Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've all heard pride goeth before a fall. That's actually a Reader's Digest version of the King James version of this verse. It took the King James and it took out the middle words. Pride goes before fall. What it really says is pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Be humble with others. Peter is saying, folks, I know you're going through a dark time. I know 2020 stinks. So here's how you deal with it. You start by being humble with others. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a scarcity of that these days. We're running kind of low on humility lately. Be humble with others. The second thing that he tells us is to be, to be dependent on God. To be dependent on God. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and then when he says it's time, he will exalt you. 
You exalt yourself, you already, you already messed up. But you humble yourselves before each other and before God. When you humble yourself before God, he will find the right time to exalt you. James 4 helps us with that, to what it is to depend on God. We begin with that attitude of humility before him. And so James 4 reminds us, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When you get to go to Bethlehem, you got to go see the, the Church of the Nativity. The Church of the Nativity is a, is a, a beautiful, a very old uh, church that was built around the, the, the spot that many people believe Jesus was actually born. Now, I, I'm, not sure that I, I'm not sure that we could really know for the spot, but it's cool to have a spot to remember the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. And when you go to this church, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's beautiful all, all inside. It's huge. And you walk through the church, and then you go down into what they, they call it uh, the grotto. You kind of go down into what feels like a little cave. And down in this kind of a little cave, there's this silver star on the floor, and that's the spot. But in order to get into the church of the nativity, you have to go through the front door. And what's unique about the front door is that it is only 3.9 feet high. So everyone who goes into that church to worship has to bow in order to come into his presence. Now, historically, that's not the reason that the door is that tall. They made a short door so that the crusaders couldn't ride their horses in. But over time, the door has been named the door of humility. Because now, if you're going to go inside that holy place, you're going to do so with humility. You're going to bow just to get in. That is the way that we should enter God's presence Humbly, bowing, perhaps kneeling, at least in the heart, we are, we are laid out before him bare. We are dependent on him. You see verse 7? In verse 6, he said to humble yourselves before God. Verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Casting all of your anxieties on him. And we got a lot of them, folks. I do. Has this been 2020 for anybody else? We got a lot of anxieties. But you know what? You'll never have more than he can handle. Whatever problem you're facing, it's not bigger than he is. Nor did it surprise him when it came. He's got it. We just have to be humble enough to depend on him and to cast our anxieties on him. That word cast even means to throw them. Just throw those cares to him because he cares for us. I want to encourage you to try something that most Baptists are, 
are not very familiar with. We don't practice this very often. So if you're uncomfortable, do it, do it at home all by yourself and know, you don't have to tell anybody. I want to encourage you sometime this week to spend some time in prayer open-handed. Just sit quietly. Open both of your hands and spend time with God. And here's why. When I come before God with my hands open, I'm saying, God, you can see that I have nothing without you. I'm not depending on anybody or anything else. I need you. And by coming open-handed, I'm also saying, God, I give you everything that I have, including my anxieties, my heartaches, my problems. I give them to you. And then, because my hands are open, I'm in a position to receive whatever he has for me in that moment. I want to encourage you to practice that spiritual discipline sometime this week. Just sit quietly, open your hands and open your heart, and spend some time with God. It's a way that we can say, I am humble enough to depend on him. Tracy Bailey once stood in the White House Rose Garden in the presence of the President of the United States to receive the National Teacher of the Year Award. Imagine, imagine that, being the Teacher of the Year for the whole nation. He had come a long way. Fifteen years earlier, he was a teenager who stood in the presence of a county judge in an Indiana courtroom to be sentenced to jail. Bailey had gone on a drunken rampage with friends. He vandalized the high school. He'd been caught and found guilty. Nevertheless, Bailey stood before the judge with his head held high. The words of his high school wrestling coach was ringing in his ears, don't you ever hang your head. Don't admit defeat. The minute you do, it's over. The judge looked at the proud teenager and stunned the courtroom with Bailey's sentence. Five years in the Indiana Youth Center, a prison one step below the state penitentiary. Tracy Bailey went to jail with his head still held high, but it took only a few months for reality to set in. One day, as he sat in solitary confinement in a cell with nothing more than a metal cot, a sink, and a toilet, he realized what a mistake he had made, and he began to weep. More important, he began to pray, God, I need your help. I am defeated without you. And that was the turning point for Tracy Bailey. He joined a prison Bible study began taking college correspondence courses. After 14 months in jail, he was released on probation, and after further college studies, he became a science teacher in Florida. With these words, he summarizes the lesson he learned in life. I bowed my head and tasted victory. Be humble among yourselves, among each other. 
Be dependent on God instead of self. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then Peter says to us, be aware of the enemy. Be humble with each other. Be dependent on God and be aware of the enemy. Verses 8 and 9, look. Be sober-minded. Now, we only use sober in one way, usually. We usually, when we see the word sober, we usually think that just means I'm not drunk. Well, that's not what this verse is talking about. We could find other verses to talk about that, but that's not what this one's talking about. This one is saying, be of clear mind. Have some self-control of your own thoughts. Be thinking clearly. In other words, we would say, be aware. Be aware. Again, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Verse 8 says to recognize the enemy, and verse 9 says to resist him. We need, to, we need to be aware of the enemy, and notice who your enemy is. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil. Your enemy is not the person that voted differently than you did. Your enemy is not the person whose skin is a different color than yours. Your enemy is not the person who sees the pandemic differently than you do. Your enemy is not the person that watches a different news channel than you do. Your enemy is clearly defined. He says, beware, be alert of your enemy, the devil. Some of you may have noticed my blog post this week that I shared on Facebook. But it was, it was remembering a, a story from when I was a kid. I'm, I was probably six years old. And back then, the neighborhood kids used to come over to our house, and the neighborhood kids and my two older brothers, and sometimes they would let me play, but we would all play war. I was the youngest in the crowd, and we would play war. Well, for us, what that meant was it was basically hide-and-seek. You know, you say go, everybody hides, and then... You, you sneak around, and, and you come out of your hiding place, and you start shooting each other. And the last one standing wins. Well, it didn't take me long to kind of catch on to how this game was going to end. It ended the same way every time. It ended in, a, in an argument. I shot you first. No, I shot you first. No, you missed. You couldn't have shot me. Oh, you, you. Always arguing. Every, every time. And so my little six-year-old brain started working overtime. And I thought, I can use this to my advantage. I was a brilliant six-year-old. And so I said, yeah, I don't know what happened after that. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. I found the best hiding place in the bushes, and I just stayed quiet. I stayed still. 
And I just waited because sure enough, after a few minutes, they had all shot back and forth and then they were all in the front yard and they were, they were arguing and fighting and, and I shot you and you shot him and you missed me and blah, 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 blah. And so just at the right time, I jumped out of the bushes with my trusty submachine gun and I wiped them all out. And through the years, I've thought about that experience many times. Because we have an enemy who loves to lurk in the shadows, turn us against each other, and then just hide and watch. You see, it's so easy for us to get turned against each other and to start our bickering and our arguing. We start our fighting and we start, we start complaining and we start backbiting and all that stuff that we do so easily against each other. And the enemy is just sitting back, yes! Because he knows that if my attention is on fighting you, I'm not paying attention to him. And if I'm not paying attention to him, then I've just made his job a whole heck of a lot easier to jump in and destroy and damage. And so verse 8 says, recognize the enemy. Verse 9 says, resist the enemy. Don't let him divide you, distract you, discourage you, or deceive you. Stay strong, he says in verse 9. Stay strong through the tough times. All believers are suffering right now. All believers. You say that in, you see that in, in verse 9? The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That is true today as it was then. And because of that, we know that we're not hurting alone. We know that others are hurting. We know that we're not all by ourselves. We don't, we can't afford to turn on each other. Because when you turn on somebody else, you're turning on somebody who's already hurting they're already suffering as well. And the enemy scores another for his side. Peter says, I know these are dark times. But if we can learn how humility leads to hope, we can get through these times. And here's how it works. Humble yourself among others. Depend on God. Be aware of the enemy and be hopeful about your future. Be hopeful about your future. Look at the next couple of verses. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, I know you're suffering, but I also know it's for a little while. You say, well, it's been a long year. I know it's been a long year. And I know that when we're hurting, it feels like we're suffering forever. But beloved, in the, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture, our suffering is temporary. This is not all there is for believers. 
We're not home yet. Why are you trying to, why are you trying to feel at home and be comfortable when you're not home yet? I know, he says in verse 10, I know you're suffering, but you're suffering for a little while, and then the glory. Suffering is temporary. Glory is permanent. It's forever. And it's not, it's not anything that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to buy it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. It is, it is given to us by grace when we have faith. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the promise of glory. You see that? You've suffered a little while, then the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's how you get there. That's how you experience it, is in Christ. When you have a relationship with him, when you're in him, then you get to be with him in glory forever. Be hopeful about your future. Because if you and I can be hopeful about our future, it helps us realize our suffering is temporary. We're going to get through this one way or another. These are dark days. However, we can help one another get through these days when we learn to be humble with others, be dependent on God, be aware of the enemy, and be hopeful about our bright future. 